Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. So I'm going to read this prayer to you. Um, first of all, I'm going to tell you, I want to talk to you out of, out of Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, now if you've ever read the book of Ephesians much, you sh- if you haven't, you should be reading that book. I love that book. That book is like life to me. It's my favorite book in the New Testament in terms of the, le- the epistles or letters, however you want to call it. I just love it because I've said this over and over. I don't mind saying it again. There's no problem in that book that Paul's talking about. He's talking about God's blueprint, God's vision, God's dream for me and you and for the church as a whole. That's what the whole book's about. I mean, it's literally about that. And, and so what happens in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, it begins in verse 3 that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly place or in the heavenly places in Christ. That's how it starts. That's what the whole book is about is that one verse. Verse 3 sets the pace for the whole book. Okay? And then he begins to to take apart that verse and, 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 and sort of dig into that verse in chapters 1 and chapters 2. Okay, that's, that's really what he does. And it's amazing, you know, I'm trying to put myself in, in the mind of Paul. Like, if you read chapter 1, he talks about the, 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 our adoption. He talks about what the Holy Spirit does. He talks about what Christ does. And then he gets to the end of chapter 1 and he keeks into a prayer. I, I can just imagine Paul saying, wow, I, everything I've just told you, you, you need revelation and you need wisdom to lay hold of what I just told you. So he, he breaks with his, what he's telling them and gives them an amazing prayer. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and he prays that. And then he shifts again and begin, you know, the first thing he talks about in chapter 2, after praying that amazing prayer, he starts talking about, oh, and by the way, there is a devil. He doesn't say it like that, but he does talk about the prince of the power of the air and the course of this world. So he's sort of setting, setting everybody up, setting his readers up, setting us up to know that although God has done all this and you have all this in Christ, there's a devil out there and he's not going to set back and allow you to have all this without a fight. And then he picks it back up at the end of the chapter and when he talks about the fight. Are you all with me? Yeah. And that's sort, of, that's sort of what he's doing there, okay? And then he goes on in chapter 2 and talks about the blood of Christ, how the, how the blood has brought us near and how we're saved. He kind of he really goes into another deeper level of what God has done for us and what we have in Christ. It's just it's like a treasure chest being opened to us of God's beautiful plan and God's beautiful dream over our lives. Actually, one of the things he says in there, I think in verse 13, is that we are created, or verse 10, 1, we are, you know, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might, be, might walk in them. In other words, he's, again, he's starting to set, set us up there uh, for, for the more that he's going to share later, like in chapter 4 where he, get, he begins, begins to talk about what those good works look like walked out. Y'all, are y'all good? Yeah. Um, so, but then in chapter 3, th- chapter 3 is a little different. 
uh, it's not kind of the favorite. I love chapter 1 and 2. That's the best for me personally. I can't seem to get out of them. I keep going back to them over. But we have to get out of them. We have to go on into chapters 4, 5, and 6, how to actually live what he talks about in chapter 1 and 2, and how to deal with this enemy that's going to fight us tooth and nail to, to keep us out of our inheritance. We have to go to that. So what he does in chapter 3 is amazing. He, he kind of shares a little bit about himself, about his calling, about the mysteries that have been entrusted to him. And he, I, I, I'm just getting into his mind. And then, then... Before he goes into all this other, you know, here's how you're going to apply this, here's how you're going to live this, you know, sort of the nitty-gritty of our Christian life, he has another prayer, okay? Because this, this thing needs a prayer. This thing, there's things that we are going to have to have. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We, we desperately need that. We major on that, right? All prophetic people major on that. You cannot go to a prophetic seminar without them pulling that verse out, right, Jen? <laughs> Jen did. She's going to do another one. You should go to it. Yeah, she'll teach you how to tap into that. So, and, this, and that's the cool, the coolest prayer there is in chapter one. You should pray that prayer. It will have a, a huge impact on your life. As a matter of fact, uh, Kenneth Hagin Sr., like, you know, there's other Kenneth Hagin Juniors, but Kenneth Hagin Sr., was the, he was the man, okay? I mean, he literally was the man. Uh, but he, this is what he said about that prayer. He said, my whole ministry changed when I started praying that prayer. He said it was like, before I prayed it, the stuff that I preached was, was so not that great because he's, but when I begin to pray it, God begin to answer it and begin to download revelation and a lot of his amazing revelation, which he has some amazing revelation. Okay, now I admit some people have taken it and twisted it, but you go back and study what he preached and what he believed. It was really powerful. And considering the time he lived in, it was significant revelation, very significant. So, like, he was like the father of the, of the faith movement, right? Well, well, that's beautiful. You know, Abraham was the father of faith. So, you know, he was, he was like a, a, a little, little father in our time. Well, okay. Are y'all good? Maybe I should just get on with this, right? So, this is what he's... I'm going to read the... I'm just going to go through this. Um... Here's what he starts with. For this reason, now, for this reason, everything that's in chapter 1 and 2, all this beauty, all this treasure, okay, all this wisdom and revelation that he's believing that you're going to get about all this, and even a little few things about himself, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees, or I bend my knees, now listen, if you go back to the first prayer, this is how he started it. For wisdom and revelation. I make mention of you in my prayers. You see, some prayers we mention, right? Some prayers require a little more. 
You hear what I'm saying? Some prayers require, require put us on our knees, put us on our faces. Are y'all with me? I'll just tell you this. Um, one of the times that we, sometimes circumstances in life will drive you to your knees. I'm sure everybody in this room has probably there's been a moment in your life where hitting your knees was the only thing you could do at that moment because of the, the weight, the difficulty that you found yourself in. One time, my grandson, one of my grandsons was being born too early and his lungs, the doctors were saying his lungs are not developed. He can't live with his lungs the way they are. And they were given my, somehow, you know, I don't know how they do all this stuff, but steroids to accelerate the development of his lungs, you know. And when, but when the doctor told us, Becky and I, I'll never forget, we were there in the hospital. We fell on our knees in that moment. We didn't, at that moment, you don't care what anybody thinks. Who cares what you think, that you're some kind of wild, out-of-control Pentecostal Christian? We don't care. All we care about is we're on our knees crying out to the Lord for that baby. And thank God he answered that prayer. I mean, he lived. I mean, he had a rough, rough ride there for a couple, for a little while, for a few months. But he, he's alive and well today. And so there are just sometimes circumstances will drive us to our knees. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's sometimes there's things that we desperately need. And Paul was saying, listen, you have to have what I'm praying for you. If you don't have what I'm praying for you, you can have all the wisdom. You can have all the revelation. You can understand this treasure that I've opened to you and have insight on it. But if you don't get what I'm fixing to pray to you, it's not going to help you. And you'll never be able to do what I'm telling you you're going to have to do to live this out and see this happen in your life. And you'll never be able to face this devil. You'll never be able to deal with this devil that's going to come after you if you don't have what I'm fixing to pray for you. That's the intensity of this prayer. It's an intense prayer. It's, a, it's an amazing prayer. And I think it's one that we really need to pay attention to and go after. Well, I've spent all that time talking about this prayer. Well, you know, being on your knees is an act of humility, right? I mean, that's really where everything starts is with the Lord. Arthur Burke wrote this book called Surrender, the Key. The key. Humility the key. And, and it really is true, y'all, uh, about surrender and humility. They really are. They never quit working in your life. You're, as a believer, there are going to be con- you're going to constantly have to give up. You're going to have to constantly let go of situations. I've been doing this for a long time. And I have, in, in, in letting go is, is an ongoing constant in my life. Letting go of people, letting go of relationships, letting go of moves of God. You know, heartbreaking things that you let go of. It's just part of the walk with God. But, the way we, but when we humble ourselves and let go, we open ourselves up for God to do something even better. What Aaron really beautifully said is there's a better wine. There's a greater wine. But if we're going to hold on to that bottle of that old wine, I know y'all were liking that wine thing. I could tell, oh, they like that. There's some wine drinkers in here. They're liking that Holy Ghost wine. Yeah, we love Holy Ghost wine, right? I mean, we're giving, you know, I was thinking when he was saying that, like, uh, you know, preaching's kind of like water to wine. You know, you get you the water of the word, but if God don't turn it into wine, you know, it's just water. 
And water's boring, y'all. I've been drinking a lot of water this week because the doctor told me I was dehydrated. And I realized I don't even like water. That's why I don't drink water. I don't drink it. I don't like it. The first day I started drinking it, it was making me sick. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting indigestion from water. I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, I've drank more water this week than I have in a normal month of my life. I feel like I'm floating on the inside. But the doctor, the doctor told me, hey, you're healthy. All, everything else is great except you're dehydrated. And he said, dehydration, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. This is ridiculous. Dehydration affects your internal organs. And so you need to get hydrated so your internal organs will be healthy. Well, I just gave you some medical advice, which I am very unqualified to do. <laughs> but my doctor told me that, so anyways, okay, I need to quit this. This ain't turning into no wine. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is amazing, Okay. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What it didn't say, this, this is interesting. Lots of times what the Bible don't say, say, say is a clue to what God wants you to know. It did not say, in the beginning, the Father created heaven and earth. God always associates his fatherhood with Jesus Christ. He waited all those years, however many years it was, 4,000 years or whatever it was, he waited that long to bring the revelation of his fatherhood when Jesus came and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so that's what Paul was trying to draw out here is he's trying to draw out. See, every, God has embedded these revelations all through the Bible about himself. And Paul is trying to, to, to help us see that God is a beautiful father. And, he, and if you want to know what he's like, look at Jesus Christ. That's where you get your theology about God at. You don't get it from the Old Testament. You get, now, the Old Testament will support it. But if you'll get it from Christ, if you can see We've said this a hundred times, but this is important. Get your theology from Jesus. This is what the Father looks like. If Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? And so when, when we begin to see the Father through Jesus, then we can go back and look at the Old Testament like, oh, that's why this was going on in the Old Testament. Instead of being a person that rejects God because God acted mean in the Old Testament. Have I talked to you all about that before? We had to do that because there's a war out there over the image of God. But Jesus settled that war and says, I'm the image of God. Are y'all with me? That's a really important thing that we have to keep going after in our life. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely the truth that God, uh, you know, that we have to humble ourselves to him and bow to him. But it's also absolutely true that he's a father to us. He's what he was, the father to Jesus, where Jesus said, Abba, Abba, Daddy. That's what Paul was wanting to bring here also. He didn't want to leave it just to a situation where we had to bow and humble ourselves and surrender, which, like I said, that's vital and that's key, but there's also this Abba, Father relationship that we can have with God. 
And Jesus, in his most trying moments, that's who he appealed to in the garden when he was in his most trying moments was Abba. He cried out to Abba. And God wants to give us a revelation that he's a daddy to us and that he cares about us. One of the, one of the best things, that amazing revelations I ever had, I was, just at, I was just crushed in my life. I could not get over some of the troubles that we had gone through as a church and that I had gone through and you had gone through. I, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't get myself out of it. And I had prophetic words, God's pleased, God's satisfied, you're good, but I didn't feel good. I felt like a failure. I felt like, mm-mm, I'm not good. And it was only when the Lord revealed himself to me one, one evening as Abba Father. And I was saying to him, I was going through this crazy prayer of how much of a failure I felt like I was and how I let the church down and, you know, you know, the long list of woe was me, <laughs> victimization prayer. And this is what he said to me. He said, okay, what do you want to do now? And when he said that, I don't know, I don't know how, but somehow all that came off of me. In that moment, I was free again. And it was like the daddy had came in. And when the daddy spoke, order was brought. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. And that's what Paul was trying to say is, daddy, Daddy's fixing to do something for you. Daddy wants to do something really important for you. Okay. Oh, this, the next thing he says, the God and Father, Lord, is from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Isn't that an interesting phrase in the Bible what does it mean well if, here's, how, here's what it means there's a lot of different opinions on it but that's baloney let's go with what that, that's let's go with let's go with what it says here's the context Jews and Gentiles are one that's what he said in chapter he explains what this family is in, in, Gen, in Ephesians 2 he's not talking about every person's part of the family Every person can be part of the family if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and accept Jesus, but they're not part of the family. Because if we took that literally, that means devils would be part of the family because he says everything in heaven and earth. Are y'all with me? What he's talking about is our identity as believers in Christ, that we have this identity as family. Now, this is important for the rest of the prayer, that we have to see that we're family and that we have this identity as his children. Okay? So Paul's praying to children of God. He's praying to family members, whether they be on earth or whether they be in heaven. Okay? He's the daddy of all of those. Everybody good on that? Okay? But it's important because the next thing, the next, the next little word he says, that he would grant. Everybody say grant. grant. You know what a grant is? Well, when my daughter went to school... University of North Carolina, it costs a lot of money. Well, if you were a just brilliant person, if you were a multimillionaire and you were real brilliant, you could get scholarships. Scholarships are not based on how much money you make. They're based on how smart you are or who you're connected with, right? But grants are another thing, right? Grants are based, you had to qualify for a grant, Okay, there's qualifications. Grants are free money. You don't have to pay it back. It's given to you. Okay, here's the point. The father 
wants to grant something to us. Do you see? That's why he brought this whole father family thing up because he was saying just a powerful word. It's a grace word. It's, he wants to give you something. It's not something you earn. It's not something you strive for. It's something that's going to be granted to you because you have met the qualifications. And the qualifications are simply this, that you were born again and you're part of the family of God. Everybody, everybody who is anybody, if you're born again, it doesn't matter if you're a good believer or a sorry believer, you have qualified for this grant. And we should just jump up and down I mean, because I have been in times in my life when I was a bad believer, a terrible one. I wouldn't say I was a great one now, but I have been a really bad one where I wanted to backslide and I wanted to do all this thing. But God is saying, I'm going to grant something to you. But it's something you desperately need. Because if you don't have this, this thing's not going to work. Are y'all good with me? Yes, Yes, yes and amen. He said... Um, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That word according means proportion. In proportion to his riches of glory. In other words, Paul is praying something like, hey, what, I wanna, what he's going to grant you is big time. It's in proportion to his glory. The riches of his glory. How much glory does God have? I mean, he's wealthy in glory. He has glory that's unmeasurable. And Paul's saying, in proportion to that, he wants to give you something. Now, that's pretty big, right? This is bigger than what we normally think as Christians. We think little. We think a little bit of power. We think a little bit of anointing. But Paul's saying here, this is not a little thing that God wants to do. This is not little. This is not a tiny measure. It's like somebody saying, God wants to give you water. And Paul said, he's giving you the Pacific Ocean. Literally. God wants to give us water. Yay. Where's my pitcher of water? No. You have the Pacific Ocean. It's yours. That's, what Paul, that's how big of a prayer this is. This prayer is bigger than... And you... Well, I got to hurry up. Well, anyways. Yeah. That he would... Grant you power. Okay, I'm just going to tell you the three things that you need to power for. Okay, because he's real specific. That Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. And that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the three things he wants you to have. And he's saying you cannot have any of them without this power being granted to you. That's what he's saying. If you want all those things... You got to get the power. I'm going to say this. Thank God that I was, when I was born again, I was immediately exposed to Pentecostal Christians. Not conservative Christians who don't believe in the power of God or want to keep it at arm's length. Do y'all hear me? Because the Bible right here in this one prayer, Paul was saying to us power is a big deal in Christianity. Power is something God wants us to have. Go after power. Never be ashamed of seeking power from God. You should not be ashamed. You should be power hungry. And if anybody puts you down for it, just say, well, I'll take the power that's meant for you then. 
If you don't want it, I want it. That's what you need to do. I want, if you don't want the power of God, I'll take it. I'll take your portion. Because God wants us to be people of power. And, here, and those are the three reasons. In proportion to the riches of His glory. That's, that's beyond. That's, it's big, okay? And so what He says is, uh, man, that we would be empowered in our inner person, our inner self. Most versions use inner man, but, you know, inner person is a good word. Inner self's a good word these days that we live in. It really is more invitational, I think. In fact, in New, uh, New American Standard 2020 is using self instead of man. New King James uses inner man. It's all the same. Well, that's important to understand what the inner man is. Um, and when the Bible talks about there's when the Bible usually talks there's like two two parts to us. There's really three parts to us. But usually when the Bible talks about the inner man, it's talking about our spirit. That's the inner person. That's who we are inside. That's that's the part of us where it says we're a new creation in Christ in Second Corinthians five seventeen, right? That's what he's talking about. That he's saying, but that person in there, and, and that's that person needs strengthening. That's what he's saying. Even though you're born again and you're a new creation, that part of you needs the power of God. That's where God wants His power to work at is in your spirit. Okay? When we normally think about power, we think about an outward manifestation of power. But here Paul is not talking about the outward. He's not talking about the outer man. He's talking about the inner man. Because if you can get the power of God working in your inner man, then you can see the power of God working out in the outer man. Are y'all with me on this? I'm trying to hurry, okay? But this is key, okay? So the purpose of the power, and, and really what the, what, let me just say this. What, when the Bible talks about the inner man, he's talking about, that, that, he's talking about our spiritual self. Okay, who we are spiritually, not who we are physically. Am I making sense? Okay, so Paul was saying God wants to strengthen you, empower you spiritually. That's what this prayer, you've got to have some power spiritually in you. And you know, if you study the scriptures, you'll find out that our inner man can see, it can hear, it can taste, it can smell, it can be cleansed. Did you know? It can be fed. All of that's in the Bible. And Paul was saying, that part of you needs to be strengthened where you can dial in uh, to the spirit thing. Uh, let, I'm just thinking about Arthur Burke had this little thing called the feller in the cellar. Y'all remember that? He talked about the three. He said that there's a feller in the cellar, okay, and there's a fanatic in the attic. And then there's the guy, the man in the middle, or the guy in the middle. The feller in the cellar is our outward man. The outward man can't see Jack. He don't know nothing. Okay? He really is, is helpless when it comes to spiritual things. But the fanatic in the attic knows everything because it's in the spirit and it's dialed in with God. Okay? And the guy in the middle, yeah, the man in the middle... What he's talking about is your heart, the realm of your soul. And the man in the middle decides who's he going to listen to. Is he going to listen to what your outward man says or is he going to listen to what your inner man says? 
And see, that's the choice that every one of us have all the time. That as we allow this strengthening of the Holy Spirit in our spirit, in our inner man, in our inner person, then we, that voice in us will get a little louder. That sense in us will get a little louder. That, those words that we hear from the Spirit will get a little louder because we're being strengthened there. And our heart will be more in tune to listen to that voice instead of listening to everything we're hearing and seeing out here. This is a devastating thing that's wrong with the church today. We're devastated because of what's going on in the world. We're, we're broken over it. Okay? But we have to begin to listen to what's inside of here because he knows the future. And we are in a time, y'all, when more than ever, when this is not just something you do in church and, or, or just pray. It's something that we need for our lives to be able to know how to navigate this world that we're in and always live as victors because God has called us to be more than conquerors in Christ. But we will not be more than conquerors if we're living from the outward man. I know this is elementary, but it's the truth. And this is why Paul says, you've you got to get this. Are you all okay? And so that's one of the things. I just love that. Then he says the other one is that Christ would be at home in our hearts through faith. Christ, You see, here's the truth. Christ is not always at home in our hearts. Did you know that? I know people pray that to get saved. That's okay to pray that. But the, the truth is when you get saved, He don't come live in your heart. He comes and lives in your spirit. For Him to be in your heart, it takes, there's other things that has to happen. And one of these is this power. This power that causes us to be transformed, that causes us to be renewed, that causes us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, conf- that transformation is, part, is, is our soul. It's not our spirit. Our spirits, it just needs strengthening. But our soul needs to be transformed because our soul could be soulish because it's listened to our natural stuff for all its life. And it has to be retrained to listen to our spirit. That's what, ha- that's what being transformed is. All of a sudden, you're not listening to the, co- the world. You're listening to the, what the spirit of God inside of you is telling you. And that will make your soul conform to the image of Christ. That will renew your mind and you'll become more Christ-like. And that's the lifelong process. It's not, it doesn't happen in a day. You're a new creation in a moment. A flash, you're new. But you're not a new creation in a flash. You're not conformed and transformed in the image of Christ in a flash. That's, that's the walking it out. That's why we get tired at times. That's why we need that second win at times. So we can just keep, keep going and keep allowing the Lord to be Lord of our lives. Okay, can I tell you one more thing about this? This is important, man. It means, uh, that word there means to settle down, be at ease, and be comfortable. To take root. That's what it means for Christ to be at home in our hearts. For him to settle down there. It's like he's living here all of a sudden. He's the man here all of a sudden. He's happy in your heart. He's loving being there. You know? Well, here's the, here's the thing about Jesus, okay? He knows there's times, he knows none of us is perfect, right? He knows that we got issues. He's willing to move into your heart knowing there's issues there, okay? I mean, that's just him. I mean, like, okay, he happens to be rich in mercy. Don't forget that. 
He's rich in mercy. Like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and move in with you, but there's got to be some things that's going to change here. And this is the deal he'll make. He said, I will completely renovate your house for free. For free. I will give you a new kitchen with the best countertops ever. With those beautiful refrigerators and what? The paint color. I'll even let you pick the paint color. <laughs> a new roof. Whatever it takes. But you have to meet, let me be in charge of the house. I decide what comes in. I decide what goes out. It's like when this building collapsed, this, this engineer came and said, I can fix this building for you. He said, but I'll do it under one condition. I'm in charge of the building. Nobody comes into this building, even you, unless I say so. And i like, it's yours. Here, here's the keys. Oh, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to put a chain on the door where nobody can come in if they happen to have a key. That's what Christ wants to do. In our lives, in our hearts. He wants to say, let me be in charge. I will fix this thing for you. I'm going to have to stop. Okay. Um, when I was a young Christian, I had this amazing vision of a very dilapidated looking house. And I was looking at this house. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this bulldozer coming into the scene. Okay. A big old yellow bulldozer. Y'all know what a bulldozer is. That bulldozer was going straight at that house. And I'm looking at this thinking, that house is me. That bulldozer is the Holy Spirit. And I watched that bulldozer go right through that house. And it just collapsed. And the Lord said, I took everything down. It's all the way down to the foundation. Because I want to rebuild your house. Because you have built a shack of a house. I was a shack of a house as a young believer. I, threw, I wasn't qualified to build. I was building something, but I was not qualified. I needed the Holy Spirit to build. And so he began to rebuild my house. And I wish I could say he was finished. He might still be working on the plumbing. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, more water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've been going to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> Like too much. <laughs> but that was really an amazing moment for me. It was painful. It was devastating. It was absolutely devastating to me. I was, I was crushed. I wasn't crushed because the house was destroyed. I was crushed because my life was crushed. Okay? And what I thought I knew about God and how I perceived God was all messed up. It was just all messed up. But God has worked and is working. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. The last thing that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And that's really what the Lord wants. And then he does a doxology. I'm cutting all of this short because we have prophetic ministry and I really want them up here prophesying over people because they're amazing. We went to the, their dinner last night. And we were sitting, Becky and I were sitting around looking at all the people like, wow, these are significant people. I would, there's not a person in this room I wouldn't want prophesying over me because they are solid as rocks. And they're not weird. They're not crazy. They're not off the wall. They're just people that hear the voice of the Lord and can speak it. Not heavy. We don't believe in heavy. My burden is, yeah, my yoke is easy. We weren't trying to hit the easy button. 
Well, the, the doxology, y'all know the do, doxology. This is crazy. God is able to do above and beyond what you could ask or think according to what? The power. According to the power that's working in you. This power I have prayed to work inside of you. God, that's how this thing's going to work. That's how you're going to get the Pacific Ocean. You ain't going to get it by knowing stuff. You ain't going to get it by, you know, studying the Bible. Or you, no, you're going to get it by the power of God in working in you. Can I just say one thing about being rooted and grounded in love? And then I'll stop. I promise. Rooted. Everybody say rooted. rooted. I've learned some things about trees and grass and plants. Hush, Becky. <laughs> I've studied this stuff. Believe me, I have studied it. Farmers, farmers will tell you, this is what they'll say, get the soil right. Ask the soil scientist back there. Back there in the corner. You don't know about the soil, look back there. He raised his hand. He's a soil scientist. Get the soil right. Okay? You can pour fertilizer on grass all day long, and it'll turn yellow eventually because the soil's not healthy. You've got to get the soil right. Well, the Bible tells us three things that Christians are both supposed to be rooted in. I'm just throwing this out there because this is my... Right here it says we need to be rooted and grounded in love. That's one. In Colossians it says we're to be rooted and grounded in faith. In Timothy it says we're to be rooted and grounded in truth. That's the good soil of the Christian life. You want to know what that good soil is in the parable of the sower? It's a soil that has a good mixture of love faith and truth and then the tree then the plant can just thrive thank you for listening to a river life fellowship podcast to get more information check out riverlifefellowship.com